Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kassman. With me this week, I have the pleasure of talking with Sinbang Ong, who is our uh, head of Emerging Asia Economics. Uh, and it's a particularly good time to have this conversation as we've been clearly focused on the impact of the Russian uh, invasion, the resilience of US and European consumers in the face of a big inflation shock. Uh, there's still a lot to talk about there. I would just say that we're getting I think a little more comfortable taking out some of the more significant downside risks on that point, on the growth side at least. Um, and that actually therefore turns our attention to where are still some significant concerns around the China outlook. Uh, we've made some important revisions to our China outlook this week. We have, I think, important ramifications of that in terms of the region. So why don't we turn uh, immediately to the to the issue on China? Sinbang, what's going on in China? How are our forecasts evolving and how do you see uh, risks there? Thanks, Bruce. I mean, the general narrative is that we've had a fairly strong start to the year. First quarter's actually come in above expectations. But if you look at the profile of how the quarter's evolved, it's actually quite interesting in the sense you've got a fairly solid first two months, but March really slowed down quite a bit. And it's across the board in terms of the, of the slowing. You've seen that in IP numbers. You see that in the retail sales as well as the services indicators. And it does suggest that the Omicron shock is really taking a toll on the activity there. Now, as you move towards April, that's when we expect things to really crater because that's when the mobility measures really start to kick in uh, quite quite uh, badly. So we should see actually a fairly substantial decline in, in, in April. And I think as we move towards the rest of the second quarter and, and third quarter, we're hoping um, that the cases should ebb by the time we run into the end of April and therefore starting to form a base for a modest recovery in, in late part of the second quarter, broadening to the third quarter and accelerating further into the fourth quarter. But the general, I would say, narrative is that it's not going to be a very aggressive expansion for two reasons. Number one, it's going to be a fairly calibrated um, relaxation of those stringency measures. But more importantly, um, the policy, um, I would say, framework has actually changed in the last several years, where you're actually seeing a fairly notable differentiation between uh, fiscal monetary policy and regulatory policy. And I think that's an important distinction, simply because in the past you've, all, you've had all three work together to deliver a fairly powerful impulse on, on the cycle. But this time around, we're actually separating the two, monetary policy, fiscal policy, and then um, regulatory policy. And what what is essentially has been the, the, the turbo in terms of the impulse which is regulatory policy around real estate, we think is going to be missing this time around, or at least not to the same degree. And I think that in itself suggests a more muted recovery than what we would normally pencil in, in, in previous cycles. So you 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 give as long answers as Joe. I was really hoping we'd have more concise <laughs> answers and conversation. But, but uh, let me... <laughs> it's an important distinction. Yeah, it's an important distinction that, that regulatory separation... No, so the, content is, the content is obviously important. Um, but let me kind of raise the question, which I think has been on a number of people's minds. So you're having a, a drag on China growth, which has both demand depressing uh, impacts, but is also having some uh, negative impact on the supply chain issues, which has, of course, been a, a factor boosting inflation. As you, as you think about the China uh, shock from the point of view of its repercussions globally, uh, which one is bigger and how do we assess the risks around them? For us, it's really more on the supply side. I mean, we've had China that impact in the early part of the crisis in early 2020, but they recovered quite quickly. 
This time around, however, I would say the conditions are somewhat different. We are concerned that the supply chain bottlenecks could actually be a bit more binding this time around and effectively be more of a headwind compared to what we saw in 2020. And we're starting to see elements of that in the data flow that we've gotten. So the the, the key indicator that we've seen is actually the two countries, Vietnam and Korea. So Korea, we've already had the first 20-day trade numbers, and both indicators on the export and import side have actually slowed quite substantially with respect to China. But if you look at the other countries um, outside of China, they seem to be quite resilient. So it does seem to be centered around China, that slowdown. Similar in, in Vietnam, where it is part of the manufacturing hub for certain corporations in Asia. Well, let me, let me push, actually... push back at you a little bit here. I mean, which is to say, there's no doubt you're seeing in some of the trade numbers a sign that trade with China is weakening, but that by itself doesn't distinguish between the slowdown in, uh, um, you know, Chinese demand and a slowdown in in some global demand as well as we go through the end of the first quarter. Particularly as you've noted, a lot of trade in terms of exports to China re- represents uh, goods that are going to be processed and and right. transmitted back to the, to the U.S. and Western Europe. So when I look at, for example, Japan's PMI this week, really nothing in terms of the supply chain sto- story in terms of the questions there. Uh, when I look at the U.S. PMI uh, this 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 morning, really not much there. Uh, is there something that we can really kind of hang our hats on that say, hey, there is something going on that's uh, creating some some problems in the region? Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting, we have also had the Taiwan export orders numbers for uh, March, and they've actually been quite resilient. So, so what we're effectively saying is that the demand side seems to be okay, but it's really the supply side, and that's where we have that big drop. Um, in imports into Vietnam, because historically that's a leading indicator for exports because you you import your, your, your intermediates, you reassemble them and then you ship them out. So there's about a, about a one month lead time um, in, in terms of that general process. But the fact that we've already had March numbers slow down quite substantially against what we anticipate to be fairly resilient end demand, reflected to some extent, as, as you suggest, and some of these other indicators, to us, reflects some kind of supply chain dynamic. Now, whether that persists, I think it's absolutely key because if it does, um, then it changes, I would say, the growth trajectory for us because then we're effectively not seeing demand side bottom, I mean, issues, but really in the supply side. And that could really gum things up as they did uh, over the middle part of last year. So since since I've got you here, it'd be a good opportunity to, to look at the region outside of China. Obviously, thinking about the implications of China weakening here, but also recognizing that it is a pretty diverse region. You've got commodity exporters, uh, you've got countries which are obviously big uh, manufacturing goods exporters, and you've got countries which are much more sensitive to uh, COVID dynamics through cross-border movement of people and, 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 and tourism. So when you look at the region right now, where are things stand as you kind of think about the diversity of performance across countries? Well, that's a great question, Bruce. I mean, I would say there are effectively two or three threads as, as uh, run through the region. I mean, the, the first thread, you know, is effectively the trade side, and that is around the supply chain, which is pri- primarily the, um, the the higher higher end uh, tech exporters, some in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, and obviously Korea and Taiwan. We've also got the commodity exporters. We have Indonesia in particular, and then Malaysia as well. But Malaysia is like a bit of a hybrid in the sense they do have a fairly large exposure to global capex and, and global demand. 
Um, but Indonesia is the one that really stands out. And this is where we see the fairly interesting bifurcation in the region, in the sense that if you look at the export numbers of, out of Indonesia, these are the strongest we've ever had. Similar, if you look at the seasonally adjusted trade surplus, it's the largest that we've ever had as well. So it does suggest there's a very powerful terms of trade effect, given that it is a commodity exporter that's running through the region. And that's effectively given a certain degree of resilience to what is effectively a fairly rapid tightening of external conditions, or financial conditions rather. Um, so, But I think that that, that, that external um, tailwind it makes us quite comfortable with the idea that the BOP should be fairly well supported simply because they have that um, um, current account uh, buffer, if you will. Now, the other thread, I think this is a fairly important piece, is that in Asia, we, we've actually been quite conservative in terms of how we manage COVID. But the whole narrative running into this here is that that is effectively going to be going away. In other words, we're moving towards um, and joining the rest of the world in terms of opening up. And we expect it to really hit the um, um, I mean, the rubber hitting the road between first quarter and second quarter, which is why when you look at our forecast, we do have a resilience in terms of some of these countries, in terms of the sequential growth into second quarter, reflecting exactly that reopening dynamic, if you will. And that effectively adds or, or leads into the second order effect around core inflation. And we expect labor markets to, to recover. And that in itself carries the the underlying core inflation narrative into second quarter, third quarter, which is why we have central banks around that region, particularly Southeast Asia, effectively starting to move towards. Um, so let's let's talk about that. Where do you see the biggest pressure on central banks uh, between now and the end of this year? It's it's in those countries where you both have a supply side dynamic and fairly aggressive reopening as well. Um, and in that I would say in that bucket, I would potentially place Taiwan because they're now moving to an endemic um, posture. Um, and we've already had the CBC move quite aggressively. Um, this is the most, I think, aggressive move we had in, in, in almost a decade. Um, and Singapore, we've also had the MAS move aggressively as well. Similarly, um, very large uh, services sector. Um, and we also have Malaysia potentially moving in the second quarter of this year, reflecting some of that reopening as well. But again, because of the relative, I would say, um, conservatism still, um, we don't expect them to move, um, or at least inflation to pick up nearly as quickly as what we're seeing in Singapore. Because, in fact, just was, what was just recently announced, I think today or yesterday, um, is that we're moving to pretty much reopening fully in Singapore. And, that's where we, and that will be a, a fairly good, I would say, uh, template for the rest of the region to see how um, core inflation actually picks up. Because one of the things we've not seen in Asia is this really rampant inflation we've seen in the rest of the emerging markets. And the question is, is that, is that going to change as we start reopening? I mean, the forecast says no, but I would say we're going to be going through a testing time as we move through the second quarter with that reopening dynamic, if you will. So one other thing to consider here, of course, is the rise we're seeing in U.S. and, and global bond yields. Obviously, part of that is the the Fed, but some of it, in some sense, now is also uh, rising inflation expectations that we're seeing at least embedded in those yields. Uh, with the Fed clearly on the move, with ten-year yields uh, moving up towards three percent in the U.S., uh, with the ECB call now in our forecast having them move in July, I mean, does the rise in global interest rates have much of a bearing on on performance in the region? I mean, in our view. What sets Asia apart is, is in that even though it's relatively developed, at least in North Asia, the bulk of credit intermediation is done primarily through the banking system rather than through the corporate um, credit markets. So that in itself reduces or insulates um, the financial sector from what's happening in terms of the bond markets. And that, I think, is an important distinction because what it effectively says is that the central bank's policy rate matters more 
then the funding rates you get is reflected in the bond market. So to some extent, we're insulated from this. In other words, we're pricing much towards the front end rather than the back end, as, as you see in other, other developed markets. Um, so what that effectively means for us is that we will have to watch the interbank rates. And so far, liquidity seems to be doing fine, which means uh, financing conditions are not tightening um, to the same degree as they're in other um, localities where uh, financing is done primarily through the debt capital markets. Okay. So I think we'll we'll end there. I mean, it's a pretty interesting space, and it's particularly interesting with China having so such powerful uh, dynamics right now. Um, and uh, therefore, I think the the next round of PMIs, the issues you're raising as to how we see whether these um, uh, China impacts through supply chains prove to be more significant, or perhaps also through commodity demand and demand more generally. Uh, so we'll pay close attention to that. Do you have a call on what the next uh, round of manufacturing PMIs, which are obviously going to be sensitive to the to the China story in, in the region, is going to do? Have you guys made forecasts for that yet? Um, we haven't made forecasts as yet, Bruce, but I would say it'll probably fall, be falling on, on, on what we saw in March. It's slightly softer um, because we've had you know, a fairly strong first quarter start in the first instance. So some little bit of um, 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 normalization, if you will. Okay. So I think we'll leave it there. Thank you, Sinbang, and thank you, uh, thank you everybody for listening in. Um, hope we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.